Nancy and I are very happy to be here and uh, to, at least to, and during this time to share a little bit of some of our experiences that uh, help us to believe in, in prayer. Uh, the basis for belief in prayer obviously should be the Bible, God's Word, which should be the most important, but personal experiences also uh, play a role. And there's something about living through an experience that helps to cement it in one's psyche. Uh, in 1948, um, my parents, we lived in Loma Linda, and my dad loved Southwest U.S. vacation spots. That summer, he, he decided that we would go up to Bryce Canyon in Utah for a, a camping vacation. Um, in those days, cars did not have air conditioning. Going across the desert in August from Southern California to Utah was hot. So we would leave home in the evening. We'd leave about 8 o'clock in the evening, drive all night across the desert, going up through Las Vegas and into Utah. Early in the morning, it had been raining, and for some reason, the car hit a slick spot, spun out, rolled, and... Uh, it was very hard on that 47 Chevy. Um, we had all our camping gear in the back, the four of us, my sister, myself, my parents. Uh, fortunately, nobody was hurt. And um, the day was spent arranging in the town of Panguitch, Utah, about 20 miles away. Uh, a bus stop took my dad into town. He arranged for a wrecker to come out and, and all that stuff. So getting things arranged, getting the car towed in and uh, supper time and, and early to bed in a motel. Uh, I remember his prayer that evening, uh, the, the four of us, 700 miles from home, uh, a whole bunch of camping gear, a wrecked car, uh, what would we do? Uh, shortly after we went to sleep, there was a knock on the door and somebody hollering for Doc. Uh, in those days, my dad, who was a pathologist, uh, used to do a lot of autopsies in area mortuaries. And um, it turned out the man knocking on the door was a mortician from Fontana, close by Loma Linda. He and his wife had uh, been back to uh, Detroit and had picked up a new Packard hearse. <laughs> and, <laughs> We're driving home. Uh, it was, they had stopped earlier than they had planned to. He just said he didn't quite know why they were impressed to stop at that particular motel. But anyhow, he saw uh, my dad's name on the hotel register and uh, learned what had happened. And the upshot was the next morning they loaded us and all our stuff in the hearse and rode home. Most people do not get to enjoy how nice a hearse is. It's a, it's a marvelous car, beautiful plush upholstery, and it, it was really neat. But, you know, God not only can answer prayer, but he's got a sense of humor. And so, you know, it helped, it helped in my life to realize, yes, prayer is something that really works. Now, why do I pray with patience? I can't share what I don't have or what I don't believe. So 
obviously, and I, I did not include the text and all the background stuff. I, I know that most of you are well acquainted with the myriad of promises in the Bible relating to prayer and also the spirit of prophecy. I've just been reading a very nice little compilation. It's just titled Prayer. That's an E.G. White compilation that has some beautiful material on this. But anyhow, I sincerely believe in the power of prayer. At least in a surgical practice, very few patients come to a surgeon for fun. Uh, your family doctor is not so threatening, but just by definition, what I do is something you don't want. And so the fact that you come to see a surgeon is because you have something that you wish you didn't have, and the whole experience is not particularly fun. So I just have to assume that everybody who comes is under a certain amount of stress. The Bible clearly teaches that it's God's will for his children to be in health. Um, patients facing surgery or serious illness are vulnerable. It's amazing how one's attention can be um, concentrated when, when you're getting ready for an operation. I went through a major surgery about a year and a half ago. You know, I've, I've been in an operating room lots of times. It feels a lot different when you're the one laying on the bed than the one doing the cutting. Uh, but a person does some thinking before you're put to sleep for a major operation that is perhaps a little more serious and deep than it would be otherwise. So patients are willing to listen. And I do believe that God wants me to share my faith in him and his love for them. He loves me, he loves my patients, and I should share with them that, that that's a part of my belief system. What do I pray for? Uh, in one of the seminars we've had already here, the difference between healing and treating was emphasized. Um, I need to, I do pray that God will be with my patient, that he will bless him as he sees best. You know, I have my preference, the patient has their preference, but I think we always need to, to have the mindset, we want what God sees is best for us and for that patient. So I, I just always need to be willing to, to realize God may have a different outcome in mind than what I have. And it, it may well be, in fact, if it is his, it will be better than mine. I pray for the patient's family and friends. When somebody comes to surgery, the patient's made unconscious. He or she doesn't care what's happening for that brief time. The family are wide awake. They do care. And uh, especially if the doctor said the surgery will take an hour and two hours have gone by, family's apprehension can go up rather sharply. So... And, and the patient cares about their family. You know, if, if I'm going to be in surgery, my wife is going, to, is going to care about what's happening to me. I want her to have the peace and security that God can offer too. I pray that God will guide my hands in judgment and help me to give the best care to that patient. Um, through better than 50 years of doing surgery, I don't think there are more than than two handfuls of patients who have refused prayer. Um, and 
I, I feel very sorry for people who don't have faith in prayer. Of course, most of the patients I had did not share my specific church affiliation, but um, it's awfully hard to object to the surgeon praying that God will help him to do a good job. <laughs> and so I think giving that care to that patient is important. The effect on me, there are many physicians and perhaps more prevalence among surgeons than others of a well-developed ego and sense of self-worth. Uh, an arrogant surgeon to me is dangerous. When I pray that God will guide me, I'm implicitly stating, I know I'm not perfect. I, I can't do this by myself. I want God's help. It reminds me of my fallibility. I can cut and sew. I don't heal anybody. I, I can't heal the incision. I can make the incision, I can cut out if some a bad appendix or whatever, but I can't do the complete job of curing this patient. It reinforces my belief that to be an instrument in God's hands is the greatest privilege that I can ask for. And I think as a physician, if God can use me as an extension, God could snap his fingers and, and solve the problem right now. But in this world, he has chosen to have people be his agents. They see that I'm dependent on God. They realize I'm including their family because this is often a part of what they are worried about. And, and in parenthesis, I think it's very important for the physician to try to understand what is the patient afraid of. In the case of surgery, they may say, I'm afraid I won't wake up after the anesthetic. Or I'm afraid uh, that there will be a lot of pain. Uh, I'm afraid I will be disfigured if with some types of surgery, an amputation or a, a mastectomy, the patient may be afraid of that. I need to know what they're afraid of and be able to, to bring that problem to God in prayer. Uh, the post-op visit, to remember to thank God for the recovery that the patient has enjoyed. And it's interesting that even today, there may be patients that I operated on 40 or 45 years ago who, when we meet, will again say thank you for the prayer. They never comment about what the incision looked like, but, but many times they will say, after we prayed together, I wasn't afraid. And I think that's an extremely important part of... Uh, I'll just give one, one illustration that to me was a direct intervention by God. During our time in Montemorelos, uh, we were blessed to, to spend five years there. Uh, but I remember a, a young lady who had a big left kidney tumor, and I did an nephrectomy on her. Um, it was a rather primitive operating room, very poor suction, open windows because no air conditioning, and it was an interesting atmosphere. At any rate, um, those of you who are physicians know that the renal artery carries a lot of blood. Uh, I had the artery clamped and cut, and somehow the clamp slipped off. And the, the field just fills up with blood instantly. A patient, probably within less than a minute, would be dead or would be dying. Uh, I remember just taking a big clamp and plunging it into the field of blood and caught the vessel that wasn't skill. 
that was God's direct intervention. And, you know, it's not always that dramatic, but I really feel sorry for physicians who do not have the, the dependence on God. Uh, I think it's been a real blessing in my practice, and I think for as we train young physicians, I hope that we can share with them the, the joy and the assurance that comes with knowing that God's our partner, God's running it. Thank you. Amen. Amen. We'll have some time for questions hopefully here at the end. So thank you, Dr. Small. So I'm just going to, let me just share with you my experience with prayer. So I went to Christian Medical School. Um, I can remember a handful of times that I saw an attending on occasion pray with patients, but I not, did not remember seeing it on a regular basis. Um, and so I didn't hadn't really learned how to make this a part of my practice. If a patient had asked me to pray with them, that would be no problem. But to do it on a regular basis with patients, I was very uncomfortable with. In fact, as a medical student, I went to Wildwood for a rotation. Um, my attending was Dr. David DeRose. Um, many of you know him. And uh, Wildwood at that time had a simple emergency room and maybe two beds. But um, but uh, we had one patient come in late at night um, when I was, quote, on call, who had, had a big laceration to the side of his face and his ear. Um, he was elderly, very hard of hearing. And, uh, but he came over there to have it stitched up. So I stitched it up, um, gave him a prescription for an antibiotic, and, uh, and then Dr. DeRose said, oh, did you do the most important part of the, of the, of the procedure? And I said, uh, what was that? He says, oh, have a prayer with him. Well, I didn't really have a chart out in front. I couldn't remember his name. He was very hard of hearing, and it was the most awkward prayer I'd ever prayer, prayed, and I just felt very subconscious and very, uh, inept at doing that, and so it wasn't easy to just start praying with patients. Um, so it wasn't until about 13 years ago, um, there were, I knew of a couple of physicians that prayed with patients, and I kept thinking that would be neat to know how to do that, but I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, I worked, uh, I came back to Kettery in um, 2002. Um, but around uh, 2004, one of the very earliest sessions of Amen, uh, just before we were getting ready to go to Amen, I remember an experience where I had a patient who got transferred from actually Hilton Head. She was on vacation down there. Um, she had a cardiac arrest. They um, did one stent and stabilized her, and then they transferred her up to us at Kettering. But she still had a lot of coronary disease. And... Uh, whatever reason, I think we got her back a few weeks later and we decided to recapture. So she's in our cath lab table. And uh, I should mention before this, so, so I work with a bunch of hip, cool, young people in a cath lab. It's a pretty cliquish place. They make fun of a lot of things. And I just knew that if I started praying in front of them, it would be pretty embarrassing. Um, because they're, they're just into what's cool. And that had an impact on me, unfortunately. But uh, so we get this lady on the table. She transferred back up from Hilton Head. We engaged the left main 
Um, coronary artery with a catheter and immediately her blood pressure plummets. That left vein, even though they extended it, was critically tight. Her blood pressure was dropping. She was not very stable. And the treatment back in those days was to go immediately to heart surgery. And so we called the heart team. And one of our cardiac anesthesiologists uh, uh, walked in, and the whole heart team walks in. There's about 20 people in the room. He says, everybody can have just a moment of silence. And he walked up and prayed with the lady before he took her back to surgery. And those young hip people that are so cool were talking about, wow, did you see that? That was pretty neat. He prayed with her. And I was like, ugh, I should have been the one to do that. So I had this conviction that that's what I needed to do. And uh, about that time, fortunately, Amen started, and Pastor Mark Finley just gave a few pointers, and I'm going to go over basically what he presented. He gave this uh, presentation with me last year, and so that's available if you'd like to uh, listen to it. So I've since become convinced that prayer is a powerful tool um, for many of the reasons that Dr. Small has listed, but it also opens the door to a spiritual conversation. I think that's what's so powerful about it. And what's so important about it. So I now am in the habit, after uh, being mentored by Pastor Finley, to just mention to all my patients at the end of every encounter, whether I'm doing a procedure or seeing them in the hospital or seeing them in, them in my office, to just say, by the way, one of the things I offer you is have a prayer. Is that something you'd appreciate? And I'll talk a little bit about why. I'm not forcing any of my religion on them. I'm letting them know that I'm open to spiritual dialogue. I'm offering to have a prayer with them. They can say no. Like Dr. Small, I've had now in the last probably 12 or 13 years, probably maybe 10 people that have said no, I'd rather not. And I've gotten rather adept at just saying, okay, that's no problem at all. And by the way, we're going to do this and this and this and have a good day and just try not to make a big deal of it. And uh, they've mostly been comfortable with that. So um, let me just talk a few Go over a few uh, slides that I have, and I'll intermix a few stories about why this is so powerful. So in Psalms 107, verse 20, it says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. There's a power in prayer. Um, as Dr. Small has mentioned, um, it helps the uh, physician, it helps the family, and it helps the patient. But it really, we don't. And I also like to tell my patients, one of the reasons I pray, pray is... I don't cure anyone, only God does that. And so we're asking, I'm pointing them back to the source of true healing. The Ministry of Healing, page 113, says, When Christ healed disease, he warned many of the afflicted ones, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And thus he taught that they have brought disease upon themselves by transgressing the laws of God. And that health can be preserved only by obedience. And so I found that by praying with my patients, um, it actually enables them to make changes, lifestyle changes in their lives that put them back in harmony with God's principles. And often, by having a prayer with them, it opens the door to talk about, by the way, you have heart disease. This is caused by your lifestyle, your diet, by smoking, um, high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, so we just get to go through all that. But heart disease is primarily a lifestyle illness. And so I have found that if I pray with my patients, the Lord will give them strength in their lives to overcome smoking. It is way more effective than when I just tell them, you know, you really should stop smoking. So I used to tell my patients, you know, you really should stop smoking. Well, they know that. Um, they're doing it because they are dependent. They have low self-esteem. They have no power in their life to change. They've tried to quit. Most of them have tried to quit many times. 
Mark Twain said, quitting is easy. I've done it a thousand times. And uh, many of my patients have the same experience. Um, but when I pray for them that God will give them the strength to overcome the smoking habit, it's been incredibly more successful. And I, I believe more than 70% more than of my patients have been able to stop smoking since I've started praying with them. And I believe that gives them a power. So getting them back in line with prayer. So, so I've told this story just about every time I've done this seminar, but it's the most powerful story. So, um, so I have a patient who um, came in. He was uh, in his 40s. His father had died of a heart attack in his late 40s. And uh, he was uh, quite obese, more than 100 pounds overweight. Um, he looked rough. He was wearing a vest, a bandana. He looked like a motorcycle gangster, but he rode a motorcycle from Dayton, where we lived, down to Cincinnati, where he worked at a pretty rough job. He would come home to the bar in the evening. He'd binge drink over the weekends. He was smoking. He was overweight. And of course, he was diabetic, had high blood pressure, and had high cholesterol, none of which was treated. And he came to our emergency room with sharp chest pain. Turns out it wasn't his heart. Um, we did a stress test. Everything was okay. But I had a serious discussion with him. And uh, turns out in the discussion, he told me, yeah, his life's a wreck. His, uh, he's probably going to get divorced. Um, everything is just falling apart. And uh, I just finally looked at him and said, look, you're on complete path of destruction. Your life's falling apart. You're not taking care of yourself. Um, it's not heart disease. It's not a heart attack this time, but you have all the risk factors for heart disease. And uh, if you don't uh, make some serious changes, um, it won't be long. You'll be back and it'll be the real thing. And so his name was Stephen. He's given me permission. Actually, he's recorded this uh, testimony on film with us because it's just very powerful. So Stephen, um, I said, Stephen, so Stephen, do you uh, believe in God? And he says, well, no, not really. Um, I grew up Presbyterian, but don't go to church. And I said, well, that's okay. God believes in you. And uh, I said, so one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer. And uh, he actually just reached out and grabbed my hands, and I prayed. That God um, will give him strength to change his diet, his lifestyle, to help get his weight under control, um, to give up smoking, um, his, his uh, drinking, and help restore his life. And I just uh, then told him, I said, by the way, I won't ask you to do anything I don't do myself, um, but I'm a, I'm a, I can be a vegan vegetarian, I don't smoke, I don't drink caffeine, I, I exercise, and I, I rest. And I said, Stephen, you ought to get back. Uh, associated with a support group, a church group. Um, I didn't enroll him in chip. I didn't give him any brochures. I should have. I've gotten a little more sophisticated. <laughs> but all I did was pray for him. And Stephen left the office, and we decided he'd come back in a year. He didn't have heart disease at that time. A year follow-up, he came in. Uh, my nurse, who likes to jump to conclusions, said, wow, Stephen lost 100 pounds. I think his bariatric surgery was really effective. And uh, I don't remember that, but I walked in and said, Stephen, did you have surgery? He goes, no, I didn't have surgery. And I said, well, you've lost nearly 100 pounds. We looked at his blood work. His blood sugar was now normal. His triglycerides and cholesterol had normalized. Um, his blood pressure was normal. And I said, well, what happened? He says, well, I did exactly what you said. I joined a church. Uh, my marriage is doing great. I started exercising, and I went on a plant-based diet, just like you said. And uh, 
he's no longer got any risk factors for heart disease. All lifestyle related. And I said, Stephen, none of my patients make this kind of change overnight. How did you do this? He goes, well, it's because you prayed for me. So prayer has the ability to place faith into people. Faith is the process of helping them see what God sees in them that they don't see for themselves. And in this case, it was an incredibly uh, powerful testimony to me about the power of prayer to change lives. And so I believe that by praying with patients, I help them make real lifestyle changes that they couldn't make otherwise. That's the most extreme example. It hasn't happened quite that powerfully another way. Um, but you know what's kind of interesting about that is um, I didn't see Stephen again. But this kind of just, again, is a testimony to me about the power of the gospel and how I believe things are going to go in the very last days. Because, uh, so this was early on in my practice, but about four years later, five years later, um, my wife and I went to a home builder show. We call them home aramas. If you can pay $14, you get this ticket, you get to go through all these uh, fancy houses, and there'll be five or six of them in a row right around the cul-de-sac or and you can see the latest and greatest building materials. And uh, you're there, there's a whole lot of people there, so about 20 people at a time will walk into the lobby of the, of, the, of the house, and somebody opens the door, and they say, this house is built by John Brown, it's $1.7 million, it's got granite everywhere, it's stereo system, the latest everything, and uh, this guy opens the door, and he starts to give the spew that this is John Brown built this house, and he stops. There's 20 people in the lobby, he stops and says, know you. Wait a minute. You're my doctor. And he begins to tell everybody in the room, not about the house, but about this is the doctor who prayed with me. And because of that, I was able to lose 100 pounds. I went on a plant-based diet. Um, it, it, it saved my marriage. And he began to just testify about the power of the gospel to set him free from these things. And that was just because I took an extra 30 minutes to do a simple thing. One of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer. And so let's just talk about that real quick. So ministry of healing. The sick and suffering will have much more confidence in the physician who they are confident loves and fears God. They rely upon his words. They feel a sense of safety in the presence and administration of that physician. I think Dr. Small did an excellent job. Uh, introducing this, that patients have much more confidence in a physician that they know um, has trust in God. So another patient is a Jewish rabbi, and also a he's actually trained as a scientist and teaches at the Jewish um, um, whatever it is seminary. <laughs> but uh, very intellectual, he uh, was retired from his scientific studies, but still taught. Um, and uh, his wife was actually a director of nursing at one of the area hospitals, very educated. He uh, was a patient of one of my partners. He came in in complete heart block, which uh, means that his heart rate uh, was in the 20s. He would get lightheaded and nearly pass out every time he stood up, and uh, he really just needed a pacemaker. My partner talked to him and says, well, you know, you have complete heart block. You just need a pacemaker. We'll take care of that. But he was in his 80s, and he said, you know, I've lived a good long life. I really don't want any procedures. Um, I think I will just go home, and whatever happens, happens. My partner finally said, well, look, let, just let Dr. Schwartz come talk to you about it. And then if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. 
So I explained to him a simple procedure we can do it in less than an hour. Uh, we don't have to open your chest. It's very simple, a little small skin incision. We'll just, we can use lidocaine. You don't have to even have anesthesia. Uh, blah, blah, blah. It's going to make you feel a whole much better. It's just going to reconnect the upper chamber, lower chamber of your heart. It's no big deal. No, I don't want it. But uh, I said, all right, well, that's fine. Well, before I go, by the way, one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer. And that'd be something that you'd be interested in. He's completely Jewish. I'm completely aware of that. Um, and I told him I'm going to, but he took my hand. He says, absolutely. That would be excellent. You could do that. I said, I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray a Christian prayer. But, oh, that's fine. And I prayed a Christian prayer. I prayed that God would bless him with his decision. That God, that, uh, um, just prayed for his family and prayed for him. Um, when I got done, I said, well, um, thank you very much. He says, Doc, I've changed my mind. I'll go ahead and have that pacemaker. <laughs> so you could talk about what the power of prayer is. But uh, the interesting thing is my wife and I actually met with he and his wife over the next two years. We'd go to Panera and meet up and have a conversation because he was very interested in a praying doctor and uh, he was really interested in spiritual things. And we would have spiritual conversations about what Seventh-day Adventists believe and what Jews believe. Um, but one of the times when I went to the restroom, he said, by the way, I've, uh, I want to tell you why, uh, what I thought about your husband when he offered to pray. So the first thought that came into my mind when he prayed was, Lord, thank God I found a doctor who doesn't think he's God. And because of that, he decided that he'd have the pacemaker. Uh, it's uh, definitely by being willing to have a prayer with a patient, um, we demonstrate our humility. We demonstrate that we're not the source of healing, that only God does that. Um, but it helps direct them to a source where they'll have more confidence in the position that's doing that when that happens. So, Ministry of Healing, page 118. Only he who reads the heart can know with what trembling and terror many patients consent to an operation under the surgeon's hand. Dr. Small made that very clear. They realize their peril. While they may have confidence in the physician's skills, they know that it is not infallible. But as they see the physician bowed in prayer, asking help from God, they are inspired with confidence. Gratitude and trust open in the heart to the healing power of God. The energies of the whole being are vitalized and the life force triumphs. So there's something about prayer that restores hope in our patients. On the same page, wonderful are the opportunities given to the guardians of the sick. In all that is done for the restoration of the sick, let them understand that the physician is seeking to help them cooperate with God in combating disease. Lead them to feel that at every step taken in harmony with the laws of God, they may expect the aid of divine power. So why did Christ heal diseases? In some places he went, the Bible says that he healed them all. He healed whole villages. Um, and I believe there's a reason that's still just very valid in our day as well. There was this feeling in his day that somehow it was God who was responsible for the disease, that people had brought it on themselves, and it was reflective as the curse of God. That was definitely the case with leprosy. And in our day, I can remember being a medical student when HIV was still called uh, HTLV-1, or we didn't know what it was, um, gay disease, and people just had the mentality that these people brought this on themselves. It was a curse of God. We don't think this about every disease, but there still is this feeling of why is God doing this to me? Every single day I hear this from a patient or a patient's family 
or somebody, why is God letting this happen? Why is God doing this to me? And so I think in Jesus' day, he healed disease to show them that that wasn't God that brought disease. There is a, there is a, a deceiver out there that is bringing destruction and disease. And so it's to dispel the myth that disease is the curse of God. And so by giving him the credit for the healing, we are dispelling the idea that God brought the disease. In fact, we are giving them the beginning of the gospel that God is here to heal them of their diseases. It demonstrates that God hasn't rejected them. And also, he just was moved with compassion to relieve suffering. And that's partly what all of us have gone into medicine or dentistry uh, to do, to help, help people. So, sickness, suffering, and death are the work of an antagonistic power. Satan is the destroyer. God is the restorer. The words spoken to Israel are true today to those who recover health of body, of health of soul. I am the Lord that healeth thee. The desire of God for every human being is expressed in the words, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou may prosperous, that mayest prosper in thee in health, even as thy soul prospereth. That's Ministry of Healing, page 113. So, the way in which Christ worked was to preach the word, to relieve suffering by miraculous works of healing. But I am instructed that we cannot now work in this way, for Satan will exercise his power by working miracles. So God's servants today could not work by means of miracles because spurious works of healing, claiming to be divine, will be wrought. And so I think it's uh, more important that we point people back to biblical principles for healing, getting back in line with the seven laws of health, um, getting back in line with lifestyle principles, but if we leave out the power to make that change, we've, we've given them information that we haven't actually helped them. So there are times that we're afraid to pray because we're afraid our prayers might not be answered. And all of us have experienced times when we felt that the heavens were silent. And so based on Matthew 15, 21 through 28, I think there's some principles here. So number one, what happens when our prayers don't seem to be heard? We should keep praying. We should pray unselfishly. So, so many of our prayers are wrapped up for what we want. And if we would pray according to God's will, um, we can be assured that he hears those prayers. Um, God is listening. Um, and so when we go to God's word, I believe that we can know God's will. I believe that it is God's will that every single person be healed of their disease. We don't always know God's timing. And so that's where we can set expectations, but we shouldn't ever pray, Lord, I don't know if it's your will that I be healed. We know it's his will to be healed. It's just a matter of what the timing is. But there also is the aspect that we're in a sinful world. This is a battlefield. And as 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 10, we, we're, we're going to enter into the sufferings of Christ. Sometimes we suffer under the effects of sin. And so it's one thing to just snap our fingers and ask God to beam us up and get us out of here. But sometimes our prayers need to be that he will sustain us through the suffering that we're in, that he will give us a peace about it, that we know. If you know that God is for you and who can be against you, you can withstand anything. And so how to pray with patience. These are pointers I got from Pastor Finley. Um, he's pictured there in Rome. And uh, so how to pray with patience. So don't be presumptuous. So there's this feeling that, you know, I can't just pray with patience. That would break their trust. Or I'm employed at a government hospital. I can't, I can't pray with patience. Um, 
I don't think that's true as long as we're asking permission. If we're just presumptively saying, okay, now I'm going to have a prayer for you, that's different than saying, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Would that interest you? Are you willing for that? So I always ask permission. Um, the coolest thing about having a prayer is that now that patient knows that you're a spiritual person. And it is amazing how people respond to prayer. Um, at least a third of the time when I first pray with a patient, they have tears in their eyes. They uh, don't want to let go of your hand. Some of them will then start talking about spiritual things right then. I'll talk tomorrow night about a patient who's a fireman, but it was two years later that he's just brought up, Doc, you're a spiritual person, can I ask you a question? Just because you pray with them, they know that you're not pushing something down their throat, you're not pushing your religion, but they know you're a spiritual person that when times get tough, they can come and talk to you or ask a question to you. And so it opens the door to a spiritual conversation. And then the other thing that I've become convinced of is that there's power in the reading of God's Word. Amen. Not just praying, not just talking about God, but actually giving them a Bible text. And so the very fearful patient who's facing surgery or facing a heart attack or facing something scary, just to let them know that the Bible says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? That brings real peace and points them back to the source of power and strength. And John 15, 7 says, Ask whatever, whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. That brings faith. That brings hope. So just reciting scripture is a powerful thing. So why pray? I think it's pretty apparent, but prayer imparts hope in divine healing. That's ultimately what we're trying to do, is have our patients healed from their diseases. And in fact, it's the only source of true healing. It keeps physicians humble, and I think this is important. It goes beyond what is expected. When a patient comes to my office and they give me their insurance card or they give me their credit card, and I see them, I listen to them, I make a diagnosis, and I give them a prescription, that's what's expected of me. It's really what I'm under contract for. They can get that anywhere. But now when I take an extra minute at the end of all that and say, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. They perceive that, that I care about them. Amen. That I'm going above and beyond what is expected of me as a physician because nobody else does that. And the vast majority of them, except Dr. Small's patients, say, wow, I've never had a physician do that before. And now I have the, the ability to repent on behalf of the physician community that this isn't done with all of our patients because so we can't truly heal patients. And if we're not pointing you to the source of true healing, we, you should forgive us as physicians for not following Christ's methods. And so that can open bigger doors for bigger conversations. So the other big thing is we can reach people that the church will never reach. Amen. And so whether you pray with your patients, whether you give them a pamphlet, whether you give them a tract, whether you invite them to your church. Um, the fact is, we as physicians and dentists and as healthcare workers have access to patients that if you're a call porter, you won't get to see. I have several Fortune 500 company presidents who live behind gated communities and fly around in corporate jets, but they're patients in one. 
police officers, firefighters. I get people from all walks of life. I get people on the other end of town that I wouldn't be comfortable going into who are also patients of mine. And so instead of going out to where they are, they're coming to us. That is a huge advantage that Bible workers, call porters, pastors don't have. I think it would be even more powerful if we went to them too as healthcare workers. But, uh, but we have the opportunity. They come to our office. And so sometimes people will raise questions. Is it really ethical? To pray with people, to impose your religion on them. Well, I'm not imposing my religion, and I'm merely asking them a simple question, and I don't think that's not ethical. What if they're a different religion? First, when I came back from first day in and started praying, I would start looking at a few patients during the day and think, oh, yeah, that one looks spiritual. I'll offer to pray with that <laughs> But no, he doesn't look quite so I better not. You know what? It's the ones that I didn't think were attuned to spiritual things that are the ones that get the tears in their eyes and begin to cry. And so I had a lady that said, by the way, one of the things I often do is have a prayer. She said, well, I don't believe in God. And I now say, well, God believes in you. She said, well, I'm a Wicca. She's a, she's a Wicca witch. And I said, well, um, still like to pray with you. Would that be okay? I said, it can't hurt. And she said, uh, okay. And I said, I prayed with her. And I prayed that God would reveal himself to her. And at the end, she began crying. And she says, well, I'm actually a recovering Catholic. And all of a sudden, we had a spiritual conversation about what her picture of God was. And she admitted that, you know what, I do believe there's a God, just that she's had a really bad experience with religion. And so, again, it doesn't matter what religion. Um, one of the founders of Wright State University, the medical school in our town, is a pathologist. He's Muslim. He's been in this country for over 40 years. Um, he was seeing my partner, who's also Muslim, for his heart issues. But one time in the hospital, he happened to see me. And I knew he was Muslim. Um, but as I always do, one of the things I have to do is have a prayer. And he took my hand. He bowed his head. We prayed. I prayed a Christian prayer. That's all I know how to do. At the end of it, he had tears in his eyes. He wouldn't let go of my hand. He still sees me as a patient. He doesn't see my Muslim partner anymore. <laughs> and about two visits later, he says, Dr. Schwartz, I just want to let you know that when you offered to pray with me, you did something that nobody else has ever done in this country in 37 years. You showed me respect. And every time he would tell me that, you know, we believe in the same God of Abraham and Isaac or Ishmael. Um, but he took that as a sign of respect for him as a person, which is contrary to how he's been treated by most Americans who see him as jihadi or something. But he, he took it as respect. He hasn't converted, but he is open to having a spiritual conversation. One of my partners overheard me praying with a patient, and then I was talking to our fellow about the faith of Jesus, this ability that Jesus has to see in us what we don't see our, in ourselves. And uh, my partner, uh, two weeks later, said, I overheard your conversation. He says, you know, I've really not done well with my kids. Um, I haven't been a good example. I've kind of given up on them, but you've inspired me to be a, a better Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I took that for what it was yeah. <laughs> he was open to spiritual things and we're still talking about well how's that going and how are you doing with your kids 
And so we're having a spiritual conversation. So let me close with this, and then we'll take a few questions here for the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes. So prayer is the key. And so is anyone among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to passions such as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain in it. Hard to read my own thing here, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave, and the earth brought forth fruit. There is power in prayer that if we're not using this tool in our practice, I think we're committing malpractice. Amen. Is that strong, too strong? So if that's true, I would encourage all of you to just commit to going home and trying this with five patients. Five patients, staff members, people you see, just commit to just be willing to have a prayer. I became a convicted a few years ago that you know how a lot of times you'll talk to somebody and say, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. Well, I used to say that all the time, thinking that I'll go home and pray for them that night. I become convicted that every time I say that, that means I should pray with them right now. Amen. And that has just changed my whole viewpoint. And so it doesn't even matter if you're seeing patients directly, this, this, this works. We now uh, start every Monday morning in my office with, with my staff, just praying for our patients. And just found that to be something that they really, really appreciate. It's not forced, it's voluntary, um, but there is a power of prayer. Does open the door. So, Dr. Small, why don't you come back up here? And uh, any of you have just practical questions or concerns or anything else? Yes. I don't have this story, but it's just such a neat story I'd like to share. It. Dr. Chung uh -huh. uh, is a dermatologist and is real prominent in Northeast Georgia. And he gave this example of prayer. He said he had a patient come in and multiple dermatologists, no one could get them off. It was a terrible rash and itchy. And he did standard workup, couldn't find anything. He set the guy down and he said, I, I don't have a solution. But he says, I don't know anything else to do for you right now, but I'd like to offer you prayer. And um, there was another person in the room with them that was a devout And became very, very offended. Mm -hmm. He said that it was unethical, threatened his job, said he was going to go to, she was going to go to the board. Yeah. Dr. Chung said, I understand, but I'm still willing to pray for you. The other person didn't have a sincerely held belief, but okay, you can pray for me, with me. The, the, the atheist left the room. And he prayed with the patient. Two weeks later, the patient came back to his office and said, Whatever you did worked. I haven't itched in two weeks. The rash is all better. He said, I'd like you to pray with me. Yeah. And about every few months, he says, the patient comes in and prays with him. Just coming for prayer. Yep. He, he said the same story to me. 
Yes, I've heard the story as well. But there's power and prayer, and so far you haven't heard anything. Anything back from the state medical board? So, yes, sir. Yeah, do you ever pray? I mean, you mentioned in that list uh, God's will. Do you, do you pray and ask for God's will to be done, or just ask ask God to give? Ask God. Okay. Ask God to to be with them. To yes, I think I do sometimes say say healing, but. Um, it's always in the context of, of God's will. I, you know, I truly believe that God wants patients to get well. So I think that's a valid prayer. Um, and I, I think I see what, what you're saying. I'm not trying to tell God what to do, and I'm not wanting the patient to think, well, there's an out if things go bad, um, that uh, it wasn't God's will. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I sometimes do more commonly if I'm praying for somebody at church, or or maybe because I treat heart disease that I expect them to come through well. But um, but again, I usually pray for it. We know your will that you believe that you want to heal. I do tell patients that we know that God's will is that they be in good health and that they be healed. But then I explain to them we don't always do it God's timing. So I. I don't want to give the impression that God wants some people to suffer and others not. I don't think that's the case, so a little bit cautious of that. Okay. Um, another example, uh, some of you may know in the very early history of Kettering Hospital, uh, Kettering was opened in 1964, but prior to that, uh, a pair of Adventist anesthesiologists moved to Dayton because they knew the hospital was going to open and they wanted to have be somewhat established uh, in order to help the new hospital. There's a Dr. Vernon Luthis and a Dr. Dean Johnson. Um, this was in the very early days of open heart surgery. Open heart surgeons can be people who are somewhat opinionated and uh, they're surgeons. Uh, Dr. Richard DeWall was the really the pioneer of open heart surgery in in the Dayton area. At any rate. This was a couple of years before uh, Kettering opened, and there was a case of a, of a heart patient who was crashing. They were just super, super ill. It was an emergency surgery, and it looked very poor. And when the, the surgeon was very concerned about you know, this patient's chances of surviving, Dr. Luthis was the anesthesiologist. And, and before going, before starting the anesthetic, he did ask for time to have prayer. The surgeon wasn't very happy with it, but Dr. anyhow, he finally agreed. Dr. Luthis had a prayer. The patient did spectacularly well, and the the surgeon afterwards said, "You know, I'm happy for you to pray for anybody, any of my patients, because the results were so good." Mm -hmm. and, it opened the door. The Dayton area was afraid of Adventists. They had many very interesting ideas. One of them was, I think, that men did all the cooking. Uh, that, of course, they knew about Sabbath, but they, they had some very weird ideas. And so Adventists were, were not a popular breed at that time. But a physician like Dr. Luthis did his praying, and the results of that prayer did a great deal to open the community to accept Seventh-day Adventists as people. Yeah.
We have about four more minutes. Any other comments? All the way to that. Well, I was just wondering, um, if you have a patient that doesn't have a diagnosis or comes back and doesn't make those life changes, do you still offer prayer for that? You know, how does that kind of go? How is that looking so positive? Yeah, so you pray for patients that have changes, but then maybe you don't see the changes. So yeah, I keep praying. So I have patients that I've talked to, so how are you doing with smoking cessation? I said, wow, you know, we prayed for you last time. And then I'll talk to them. I said, do you, do you believe God has power to, to give you victory for this? Is God all-powerful? And I'll say yes. And I just try to keep reminding them that the power is in the Lord and keep pointing them to it. But uh, sometimes it takes repetition. Um Jesus cast out demons from Mary how many times? So he didn't give up. And so I, I try never to come across as condemning to my patients that don't follow my recommendations, but still constantly try to point them to the source of hope and power. You want to comment about that? You know, I, I think that you mentioned quite a lot about having an attitude If I can be open to leading the Holy Spirit, I think it helps to know in a given situation like that, how should I respond? It's very hard to have a formula that works all the time. Uh, also, you know, I'm not praying that the patients will change their religion. I, I am expressing I believe God loves them. I'm asking God to help me to be an instrument to, to lead to their healing. And I think also pointing them the, the difference between healing or, or curing and treating, I think, is very valid. I can give good treatments. I can't heal. And uh, I, I think the patients need to be pointed to God for that. And again, on the post-op visit, to, to have a prayer with the patient. Yes. You know, you've recovered well. Let's thank God for answering our prayer. Mm -hmm. I think it's very appropriate. Yeah, I think that's excellent. Another comment way in the back. Anybody else here working in such an environment and found any problems? 
come up in that environment. And what's what's very fascinating about that is that that appears to be even more so than even in our Christian institutions. We'll find out that stepping to that next level, being able to redirect our focus to no longer us as the physicians, but rather to God, brings a new breadth of, of clarity to the patient, even to the students that are coming, because they didn't expect that. And, and there's such a So, yeah, I think we need to dare to be Daniels in Babylon and, and uh, let somebody ask you to stop doing it. Now, I don't try to keep forcing it on a patient who has told me they'd rather not. Uh, I used to make a little MP in the bottom of my chart, so I try not to ask them again. Um, however, I've had some of them capitulate down the road. So, uh, Dr. Small, would you close our session with prayer? Okay, and I want to make one, one other comment, too. Uh, Many times we are dealing with patients who are not going to get well. Uh, and many physicians find it hard, in my experience at least, particularly oncologists, when a cancer patient was dying, it was very hard to make rounds on a patient. They, they have nothing else to offer. Mm -hmm. to, to, and, you know, as a Christian physician, there have been many times that, you know, the best I can do I can hold their hand, I can say, I love you, God loves you, here's what we're doing to try to keep you comfortable. We can't change the outcome, as humanly speaking, mm -hmm. but, but we can be there. And I believe that a patient who is facing death, to feel abandoned on top of knowing they're going to die, mm -hmm. is, is much worse. The physician who has no personal faith Again, it's very hard to make rounds on a patient and have nothing to offer them. And as a Christian, mm -hmm. I always have something to offer them, and I think that's important. Yeah, let me make one more comment before you pray. <laughs> so sorry, but yeah, this is a bit, this has been a fun journey, and uh, I, I often get asked, so what something bad goes happens after you pray with the patient? And so I've actually found that, yeah, several times a year we'll lose somebody on the cath lab table. Um, but it has been so reassuring to the family that when I go out and say, oh, well, I'm sorry, Mrs. Jones, we've been working on your husband for the last 45 minutes. He came in with a massive heart attack. We put all these pumps in. We tried to open up the arteries. We did CPR for 30 minutes. And unfortunately, nothing worked. And she just gasped and takes a big sob. And I said, but I do want to tell you this, that before we started this procedure, I had a prayer with your husband. And that has given them so much hope that I just kicked myself that I didn't start doing that many years ago. So I've never seen that be a negative. It's always turned into a positive. But Dr. Small? Okay. Let's bow our heads. Our gracious Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for the example of the Lord's Prayer that you have given us. Thank you for the assurance that our prayers, when made sincerely, will always be heard. Please help us to be channels of blessing to our patients, to our co-workers, to our families, to those whom we meet. Help us to have an attitude of prayer that will make us sensitive to the needs of others and to respond and point them to the Savior who does have the healing touch. Thank you again and bless us as we enter the Sabbath and the meetings this weekend. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.